0: I don't know how many of you pay attention to bumper stickers, but I I can't help myself. Like if I'm driving down the road, sometimes I will hope for a red light just just so I can make out the words on the back of a car ahead of me. I I don't know if anybody else will say say this, but sometimes I I have been known to to change lanes and accelerate (laughs) just so I can finish reading a sticker. I can't help it. If I just get like those first few words, it's like a cliffhanger to me. I need to know what the rest of that sentence says. Sometimes bumper stickers are a quick read, like when people use them to convey their affinity for a specific place. Anybody ever seen this sticker before? What's this person's happy place? Any guesses? Lake Norman. All right, yeah, you got it. How about this one? All right, well done. One more, one more. How about this one? Okay. Yet sometimes people also use stickers to sort of broadcast their achievements and those are also a quick read like this one right here what does this one mean yeah they did a half Ironman this one's a little less common but how about this one have you seen this one yeah this is someone who's done the full Ironman the the 2.4 mile swim the 112 mile bike the the 26.2 mile run it all adds up to 140.6 but you know, there, there are other times that people use bumper stickers to convey their thoughts on really important topics. And I'd like to tee up our time by calling your attention to two bumper stickers that are at odds with each, that are at odds with each other because they make competing claims about the answer to one of life's most important questions. So on the one hand, you've probably seen some variation of the one-way bumper sticker. It's based off the verse that Connor read for us earlier, where Jesus says that I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And uh, it's my understanding that these decals, they they gained traction during the Jesus revolution that happened in the 70s. I don't know, maybe, maybe the early Christians had some variation of it on, on the back of their donkey carts, like in first and second century, but I'm, I'm thinking it, it, it kind of gained popularity in the 70s. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite Christian musicians, Keith Green, on um, his very first album, he can be seen given that one-way symbol. Uh, this is the cover from 1977, but I didn't need to tell you that year for you to look at that hair. No, that came out of the 70s. But the message conveyed by these stickers is admittedly an exclusivistic one it's the claim that there aren't multiple ways to god that jesus is the only way and on the other hand you've probably seen bumper stickers that make a completely different assertion Uh, stickers like this one that read god is too big to fit into one religion and there are other variations of this where maybe uh That slogan has all the different symbols of the major world religions wrapped around it. And the idea being expressed in this sticker right here is completely antithetical to the first one that we saw. It's claiming that no single religion has a corner or has some sort of market on the truth. That God is too big to be contained in any one creed. And that there are multiple pathways to God and to salvation. Well... When you put these two stickers next to each other, which one is right? I ask the question because this summer we're talking about truth and love. And how is those of us that are followers of Jesus, these two should go hand in hand. But I wonder, does Jesus pit truth and love against one another when he makes this claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life? Because if someone says that Jesus is the only way, isn't that a little arrogant? Doesn't that sound a bit unaccepting? Isn't it maybe a bit unloving toward people of other religions? I mean, we've all met people in our our schools, our our offices, our neighborhoods who have different religious convictions. Maybe they're Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or Mormon, and they seem like nice people. And their their beliefs, they just seem to be a, a, a product of Of the family they were born into. So so wouldn't the loving thing be to be accepting of their beliefs? I mean, wouldn't it be arrogant to tell someone of a different faith that Jesus is the only way? Should we really try and persuade someone to change their religion and embrace Jesus? In fact, if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe it's people claiming that Jesus is the only way that's one of your hangups with christianity you'd say well just that just seems so narrow-minded to claim that christianity is the one true religion i mean you might say it's one thing to say that that christianity is true for you but to claim that it's true for everybody to insist that everybody needs to embrace jesus regardless of their cultural background or their family of origin well that that just doesn't sit well with me because I'm tolerant. I'm an accepting person. I, I just don't think it's my place to tell anyone else what's true for them. Uh, the view that, that all religions are equal past to truth, this idea that God is too big to fit into any one religion, is often illustrated through the parable uh, of a group of blind men who happen upon an elephant. Maybe some of you have heard this before. And, and um, this is their first time ever in, encountering an elephant. And uh, because they're blind, you know, they all reach out to touch it. And uh, it just so happens that that each blind person uh, grabs hold of a, of, a, of a different part of the elephant's body. And uh, they come to different conclusions as a result of what the elephant is like. So the first person grabs a hold of the elephant's trunk. And he says, oh, the elephant, it, it must be... Um, like this, just, it just seems um, flexible um, and, and and thick. So the elephants like a hose. And the second person grabs a hold of the elephant's ear and says, no, an elephant's like a fan. And the third person grabs a hold of the elephant's leg and says, no, the elephant is, is, is thick and round like a tree trunk. And the fourth person grabs a hold of the elephant's side and says, no, it's a, it's hard and firm. It's like a wall. And maybe the fifth person grabs a hold of the tail and says, no, the elephant's like a rope and you know, another person grabs a hold of the elephant's tusk and says, no, it's, it's, it's hard and smooth like a spear, and you can probably guess the point of the story. The point is that we as humans would be unwise to make any claims to absolute truth based on uh, limited personal experiences. The idea here is that, is that God is like the elephant, and all the world religions are like the blind guys, and... What we need to do is we need to recognize our own limitations. And in this spirit of humility, in, embrace uh, all, all religions and say they all have some equal merit. Because if we could just see the big picture, we'd know that it all works out. And we're all just talking about different aspects of the same truth. Now this this story, this parable, it has this ring of erudition to it at first blush it seems to reveal a perspective that maybe is derived from great learning but think with me for a moment about what has to be assumed in order for this parable to convey any truth the only way the parable of the blind man and the elephant makes sense is if you have an omniscient narrator so the person who tells this parable you have to push back How does this person know what no one else knows? What makes them all knowing? How how come they get a free pass and and are entitled to claim for themselves a level of insight into which no one else is entitled? The only way this person can make the assertion that all religions are equally valid is if everyone else is blind, but they alone can see. So if you believe that someone is arrogant for claiming Jesus is the only way, I would say, how is that any different? How is that any less arrogant than claiming that you're the only one who can clearly see the whole picture? Think about it. I mean, isn't it a little condescending to sit back and say, oh, you know, look at you Christians, look at you Muslims, look at you Hindus, look at you Druids, look at you Jehovah witnesses, wasting your breath and energy debating with one another when you could all just be like me and you could take off your blindfold and and you could see that you're fighting over nothing to say that all religions are are different sides of the same coin is a really patronizing posture and there isn't grounds for anyone to claim that they have an omniscient perspective and so rather than being a humble position I'd say that it's actually pretty arrogant and it's just as inclusive exclusive as christianity because at the end of the day what the person is saying is that their viewpoint is the correct one that their perspective is the right one and that if others would adopt their conclusions then the world would be a better place and and while the the story might have this veneer of respectfulness to it when you sit back and think about it i'd say it's actually disrespectful it's actually condescending to other religions not to take their teaching seriously and to sort of downplay or gloss over the incredibly different and distinctive answers they offer to life's biggest questions. Okay, so if that approach isn't an option, how do we process Jesus' assertion that he's the way, the truth, and the life? Here's what I'd say. Here's the crux of the issue. Here's what we have to wrestle with. When Jesus claims... That he is the way and the truth and the life. Is he making an objective claim or is this a subjective statement? So in other words, is this like asserting asbestos is a carcinogen or water begins to freeze at 32 degrees Fahrenheit? Those are objective claims. Is it more like saying blue is the best color or oatmeal raisin cookies are the best cookie? Those are subjective statements. I I say this is the crux of the issue because if Jesus intends for his claims to be taken subjectively, then it's possible for Jesus to be my truth, but not necessarily your truth, in the same way that you might say, no, snickerdoodles are the best cookie. But if Jesus is making an objective claim, then his statement is either going to be categorically true or false. It's going to be absolutely unconditionally true, or it's going to be absolutely unconditionally false. There can be no, well, you know, that's true for me, but not true for you. The same way that, that, that claiming water begins to freeze at 32 degrees is either going to be true for all peoples at all times, or it's going to be false. So if, if it's been raining out for a few hours, and it's 29 degrees outside, you, you don't have the option of saying, well, that's just your truth. That the roads are going to be icy and then go like ripping off down business 40 around the Hawthorne curve at 70 miles an hour. You're going to discover real quick that, 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 that your truth is now my truth, right? So is Jesus making an objective claim or is it just some subjective statement? Well, some people might argue that because religious beliefs are personal in nature... And they can't be proven scientifically, therefore, they're all subjective. But let's just put that theory to the test with a little thought experiment. I think we could all agree that the the major religions of the world, that they differ on uh, the answer to the question, what happens when we die? So Hindus maintain that upon death, your non-physical essence begins a new life in a different physical form. So life isn't something that's linear, it's circular. Atheists, they claim no belief in God, but atheism must be considered alongside other religious viewpoints because it offers uh, a a view of the world that provides answers to the same questions uh, as other religion. What atheists would say is that when we die, it's just like unplugging the computer from the wall. It's game over. We cease to exist. We just rot in the dirt. And because I'm a Christian, I'd say that it's my personal belief that when I die, my soul goes to be with Jesus. And then one day Jesus will return and there will be a bodily resurrection, not only for me, but for all who have believed in him. And uh, we will spend eternity with him in a new heavens and a new earth. Now, these three positions are all encapsulations of someone's personal religious beliefs. So does that mean that all three can be right at the same time? It doesn't somehow change the fact that these are also objective claims. And so it doesn't matter how sincerely I believe in Jesus. If the atheist is right, when I die, guess what? I'm worm food. And if the Hindu is right, depending on my depletion of evil karmas during this life, maybe I'm reborn as an animal or as a newborn baby. Just like it doesn't matter what you believe about water's freezing point it doesn't matter how confident you are in your beliefs regarding what happens when you die at the end of the day your position it's either going to be true or it's going to be false and your sincerely held convictions won't have any influence on the answer truth is true regardless of whether or not we believe it let me say that again truth is true regardless of whether or not we believe it so you you don't have to believe in gravity in order for it to be true let me give you a second reason as well for viewing jesus statements as objective claims we can't prove historical facts the way that we can prove something like uh, terminal velocity for an object in free fall in order to discover that you have to use the scientific method right which means experiments have to be done that are observable and repeatable. Now, is history repeatable? No. So does that mean that if we were to say that terrorists struck the World Trade Centers on September 11, 2001, that that's a subjective claim? Nobody would say that. Regardless of, of, of whether someone believes the, the Twin Towers were attacked on 9-11, it is an objective claim. And in the case of that particular claim, the, the evidence is overwhelming that it happened. Now, the further we rewind the historical clock, the harder it is to have certainty regarding the validity of a historical claim. But it hasn't changed the fact that historical claims should now go from being in the realm of like, objective claims to subjective claims. So we can say that the, the Spartans, they fought the Persians at the Battle of Thermopy- Thermopylae in 480 B.C., Or they didn't. Like that's an objective claim, right? Now I bring this up because the central claim on which Christianity stands is that Jesus died on a cross just outside the city of Jerusalem. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And it doesn't matter if you think the evidence for that is is strong or weak, it's still a historical claim that's objective in nature. And that means it's going to be true or it's going to be false. In other words, whether whether you feel like you've had a personal encounter with Jesus doesn't change the reality that either Jesus died and rose from the dead or he didn't. So hopefully I've got us all to a place now where we're in agreement that that Jesus is someone who makes objective claims. He's making an objective claim when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Either that's going to be true or it's going to be false. And what I'd like to do now is just take a moment and address the ramifications of this. Uh, first, for, for those of you who would say you're Christians, and then for those who here, who maybe are exploring Christianity or even practicing another religion. If you're a follower of Jesus, I get the desire to not want to force your beliefs down someone's throat. I understand that the uh, the unwritten rule for conduct in, in today's society is to remember it's not your place to tell anyone else what's true for them or how they ought to live their life. It's, it's different strokes for different folks, right? Uh, I, 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 I get the impulse to want to say, well, God's just going to accept the worship of all religions. But let me ask you this. Let's say you're on a, on a mission trip or you're just, you're vacationing somewhere very, very primitive. And you've stumbled upon this village in the middle of nowhere. And there's a, there's a young girl, uh, let's just say age 10, otherwise very healthy, but she has just um, contracted this high fever. And uh, the, the, the local medical experts that are um, very much uh, self-taught, self-trained, very primitive, have decided that the the solution here, the best way to kind of maybe bring about some healing for this young girl, is some good old fashioned bloodletting. They wanna take about a a gallon of her blood. Would you not implore them not to bring their knives anywhere near that girl's veins if you were in that situation? Well, what about if you were in that same village and a lot of the children were suffering from malaria? And you had the medicine. Uh, but there was a local shaman who, who told all the villagers not to take your medicine because if they did, that, um, it, it, w- it would cause their heads to shrink. Would you say, well, I just, you know, what I need to do is I need to be respectful of other people's beliefs. I need to be, I need to be tolerant. I, I don't think it's my place to tell anyone else what's true for them. I'm guessing you wouldn't do that, would you? Rebecca McLaughlin writes in in her book, Confronting Christianity, I love this quote. It says, when when questions of truth carry life and death consequences, we see persuasion as an act of love. Is that not true? When questions of truth carry life and death consequences, we see persuasion as an act of love. That's what we would do if we were in the village and there was malaria medicine available or someone was going to attempt bloodletting. If you profess that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, if you believe that he is the Son of God, that he came to earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross as a, as a substitute for our sins, and that he rose from the dead, you don't have the option of saying that Jesus is, is true for me, but maybe he's not true for you. What we've seen is that Jesus doesn't allow for that because he's making objective claims about reality. He's not saying that, that I am a way... Or I am a truth, or I am a life. He's declaring that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And that means it's not arrogant to try to persuade someone to believe in Jesus. If you believe what Jesus said is true, then the loving thing is to share Jesus with others. So we could say that the call to evangelism is one and the same with the call to love people well. They're synonymous. So that's the ramifications of of this verse for those of us who are Christians. But what about for those who aren't Christian? Maybe you're here and you're a seeker. Maybe you'd say that um, you have no religion. Well, hopefully, if nothing else, you'll be a little less annoyed the next time you're on a plane and there's a Christian sitting next to you and they wanna talk to you about Jesus. Hopefully you'd say, okay, you know, I, I see this as an act of love on their part. I, I recognize that this conversation is coming from a place of genuine concern. Uh, but, but so much more than that, my, my prayer would be that you would seriously consider the claims of Jesus. But, but not like a bad reporter who would just lift someone's words out of context to sort of create a quote that would fit their agenda. We just can't pick out some of Jesus' statements and string them together to come up with a Jesus that aligns with our ideals. That, that's the equivalent of trying to invent a person who never existed. The only intellectually honest approach is to take everything that Jesus said as a package deal. And when we do that, we know that it's impossible to conclude that, oh, well, Jesus was just this great rabbi who... Who showed us all that love is all we need. Jesus doesn't leave us that option. Because he makes too many exclusive claims. He claims to have the authority to forgive sin. He claims to be God incarnate. He accepts worship. He claims to be the resurrection and the life. He Claims that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he says no one comes to the father except through me. What he said was either true Or it's false and so you might say well i don't know if i can you know decide between the two i I don't know how to go about doing that well don't don't trick yourself into somehow thinking that well i can remain agnostic because what's going to happen is you're going to make a decision which way you believe about jesus claims by your lifestyle and whether or not you choose to submit to him so you're making a decision So how do you go about making that decision? Well, I'd say Christianity is unique in that everything hinges on historical claim. It opens itself up to scrutiny and we're invited to consider the evidence for the empty tomb. And if you wanna say, well, nah, the whole thing is a hoax, then to be intellectually honest, you need to come up with a more probable, you need to have a more believable explanation for why this small ragtag group of followers decided that they would willingly suffer persecution, and even death when there was no earthly reward for doing so. You have to account for the rapid rise and spread of Christianity. I would say the other way Christianity is unique is we need to just pay attention to what Jesus is saying in that quote. You know, what, what you might expect, what we would see in other religions is for someone like, you know, a prophet to say, well, I will show you the way. I will show you the truth. I will show you life. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? He says, I am the way. And the difference there is pretty significant. The other religions of the world, they're offering to show you a way. They're going to illuminate for you a pathway. You go to the sages or the prophets or... The gurus. And if you want to experience paradise or nirvana or the celestial kingdom, they'll say, well, here's the noble eightfold path. Here are the five pillars. Here's the good works you need to perform. Here's, here's what you need to do at the temple in order to arrive at the desired destination. If you want to picture it, it's almost like two gates. One at, one at the bottom of the hill and one at the, the top of the mountain. And you can think of the first gate as passing under the starting line. And then along the way, you make your way up the hill, you do the right things, you check the right boxes. Eventually, you get to arrive at that second gate, which is the finish line. But Jesus is totally different. What he says is he says, I I, I didn't come to light a path that you might follow in my tracks. I'm not offering to show you a way. I'm not laying out a trail for you to follow. What Jesus says is I am the way what jesus is claiming is that there's one gate and he says that's me you just come to me jesus is saying that he so mediates god's truth and god's life he does it in such a way that he is the very way to god and you know what that's why jesus can say come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest Jesus isn't uh, extending this pathway that only people who really want to be really religiously disciplined can follow and experience salvation. What, What he's extending, what he's offering is about the most inclusive offer I can think of. He just says, come to me. All of you who are weary. It doesn't matter if you're if you're Greek or Jew. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or black or white. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your IQ. It doesn't matter what you have in the bank account or how many followers you have on, on your social media or what your GPA might be. Where you got your degrees from, how much education you have. What it says in, in, in John chapter 1 verse 12 is, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who did receive him. It's open to everybody. And if you're here and you're thinking, well, I, you know, I can, I can kind of make my own way to God. I can, I can minimize Jesus' claims and I'm sure I'll be right with God on my own terms. I'd implore you, consider what Jesus is saying to you this morning. That he is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. You can't sort of circumvent him and think that your life is somehow going to be better off. Let me pray for us. God, I want to invite you now just to to do your work through the power of your word and through the power of your spirit. And Lord, for those of us who are followers of you, I pray that your words would take hold of our heart. And, And as a result of having this massaged into us, that we would not be people who would shy away from sharing your truth with others. That we would please you with the way that we would be not ashamed and that you would um, give us a degree of winsomeness and of boldness to, to do what would be pleasing to you to get in step with your mission and to make known the good news that you have made known to us Lord give us boldness where it's needed give us courage So that we might love people well. And if you're here. And and you're not yet a Christian. I want to just give you the opportunity. To let today be the day. Where you would quit wrestling with God. Where you would quit debating. Where you would quit arguing. Where you would uh, quit trying to justify. Your defense for. For not believing, that you would quit throwing up smoke screens about uh, how he hasn't given you maybe sufficient evidence, and that you would open your heart to him. Today is the day, as we sang about earlier, where I, I can say with confidence that his his goodness is running after you. It's chasing you down. And his arms are wide open, and he's saying that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he, he wants to connect you to the Father and give you everlasting life. And if you want today to be the day that you you accept that embrace where you would throw down the, the white flag and, and you would come to him and begin a relationship with him like so many of us have, you can just say a prayer like this. You can say, Jesus, I recognize that I need you. I want you to be my Savior and Lord. I know I have a sin problem, and I thank you that you dealt with that on the cross. Thank you for giving me your perfect righteousness. Thank you for giving me your very life. And I want to follow you now all my day.